Welcome back at the second season of our next show. So great to see all of you here again. My name is Ina Feistritzer and I'm very grateful to be back here with you and with my favorite next show team. Our keynote in residency, David Metten from London. Hi, everyone. And our program curator and long-term moderator, Monique van Dusseldorp from Amsterdam. Hello, hello, hello. And I'm super happy to see all of you here watching us today. And as you might have noticed, we took a little break during summer. And also COVID took a little break, which was nice. So please let us know how you spent your summer and also how you feel now that winter is coming. Um, David, Monique, how did you spend your summer and COVID break? I took up running again, so I'm now extremely fit. I spent a ah. lot of time writing my newsletter. And uh, just last week in the UK, we celebrated Guy Fawkes Night. So we all gathered in our individual gardens because no one's allowed to be together and set off fireworks in a very safe way. So that's what I've been doing. How about you, well, Monique? Walking. I've been doing so many walks. I think walking is the new, the new thing. You know, everybody's walking outside. I love it. Very good. Yeah, good for me. I have been watching any online event I could find. I mean, I've really immersed myself in online events. So uh, that's what I did this summer and spring and fall, actually, to be honest. And what did you find out about events? Oh, no, no, no. Bear with me, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to give you a quick rundown of what I oh, found cool. out about online events. So um, here we go. Um, as I said, hanging around online events has been my go-to vice this year. You know, any time I have a deadline or have something to do or have to do my books clear up, let's watch an online event because that's work. And um, Martin Recker of Next, you know, early on published a really interesting article about the unbundling of events. You know, different event functions have already been taken over by LinkedIn for business networking and YouTube for finding lectures and Twitter to, you know, it's a huge social space. But of course, then suddenly in February, March, nobody could get together. And everybody that had already planned an event decided, okay, let's try and do this online. And the development of what has been happening from, okay, we have an event and we're going to try to do it online and it's basically a stream and we're trying to imitate the space that we would normally have it in all these things that don't really work that ben sauer also described you know it's a problem of trying to imitate something that's already gone things developed really fast and all the platforms as well that you can host events on have developed i mean i don't know if you read it but hopin was just valued at 1.7 billion for a platform with a pretty standard set of event features not nothing special even and linkedin has started live streaming and i'm sure they will do events and zoom and teams and google meet and everybody's building things around it so there's a lot of things happening in platforms but what is more interesting of course is what is actually new and what is new in the event industry online if you can call it an industry i think will come from all kinds of different industries because basically everything happening online is a digital event and you know our kind of event where we go and listen to interesting talks these sort of get translated into TV shows. So I think there's a lot to learn from what's happening in the TV industry. And 
Eurosport, for instance, they had interviews on screen with somebody else in the studio, sort of a holographic imitation and, you know, interaction between people that were dispersed across the, the globe. Or Snapchat, they did an online event, a summit that was, it was really a media production show with all kinds of, you know, the, the rhythms and expertise and the visuals of Hollywood, TV, and, and you know, all that combined. So that will happen to the event industry. And then, of course, is the world of games. Games are super interesting because they gamers are used to being together online in the digital space and have been for a long time. And, and they are there, you know, they're there together. It's not just about consuming something, learning something. No, they're cooperating, they're gaming, they're battling, they're chatting. It's a social space. So if you look at the entertainment industry, they are now discovering the games world. So we had Travis Scott doing a big show in Fortnite, and now Little Ness X is doing a concert in Roblox. Roblox, you know, the children's game where you block, you know, block a whole world, make a whole world. Or, or look at the company like Wave, which is building an online venue for entertainment with Justin Bieber and Weekend. And I think some of those qualities and spaces will very quickly transfer to the event space as well. So entertainment, gaming. And then, of course, there's this, this unbundling, um, you know, taking all the elements of events apart. Um, you really see a really quick unbundling of event programs. I mean, if you go to a conference, you want more than one speaker. But online, maybe just one will do. So just connecting one speaker to an audience. And to give you an example, there's a Dutch author. Many of you will know, Rutger Bregman best-selling author, did a few great books, and he did a local theater tour in the Netherlands. So he goes to theaters and then talks to people and talks about his book. And, uh, you know, he got 16 theaters, 9,000 people, quite good. And then he did a last live stream performance. And he sold 18,000 tickets, Dutch tickets, for a lecture for Euro, Euro 50. I mean, why would the guy go to a conference if he can reach everybody and just sell small tickets. And also, the, you know, if you can access anybody on the world, take Esther Perel. She, I mean, she's world famous therapist and writer, author. She's now selling access to three sessions on death, sex and money for $75. So suddenly, you know, this connection directly from the author, the storyteller to the audience is a gig world in itself. You don't need a conference. Um, and yeah. I also want to point out that uh, in the field of online events, sometimes the bundle stays together, but then you have this, this amazing possibility to have speakers dial in from all across the world and to have delegates from all across the world. I hosted a Partos Innovation Festival was about development aid and digital services, and we had 30 people from Africa and Southeast Asia call in to show what they had done digitally. This would never have been possible if you had to fly them all in. So there's a lot of, you know, lot of good things happening. Now, three more things I want to mention. The social aspects of conferences, you know, just talking to people and finding your peers and, and finding your people, which is, I always feel this, you walk into a conference, for instance, I work, I do a lot of work in the tech space, I walk into a developer conference, you walk in and you look around and you realize these people belong together. I mean, they find their people at the event. That's at least half of the reason why you go to an event. I think there's a lot of that there are smaller events taking place online that, that do that. I mean, to give you one example that I visited this office hours, 
is a Zoom group with a daily discussion of all things video related, hosted by Alex Lindsay, who's a computer graphics and video production specialist. These are really tech guys into video. They come together every day. Everybody can ask questions, they'll answer them. But it is like a group of friends. It's in the middle between going to the bar after the sessions and, you know, being in a team and there's a lot of things happening. And, um, well, I know I have to round up, but take the VR chat room built by Cooper Tom. If you haven't seen that one, go there and have a look. These are just guys that chat in VR. And uh, he, he made a, you know, a background of the Four Seasons uh, press conference site. And it's very funny. But the way people get together online is becoming so much more social now that everybody's online all the time and they find each other. Now, last but not least, I think the world of education is actually also super interesting because teachers and professors know how to handle attention spans and they start to use a variety of tools as well. And of course, once you decide to learn something online, why not learn from the very, very best in this? So there's, you know, projects like Masterclass and something of the world of education and the expertise of education is flowing into the online event space as well. And then last but not least, what is an event? An event can be something completely different. I mean, Tim's listening party is an event. It's every evening they put on a record and people follow the Twitter stream of the people that made that record. Every evening, same time, it's a gig. It's a gig for the people involved in this event for everybody listening. And what is it? It's sound plus Twitter. So these events are breaking apart as well in completely different formats. Anyway, that's what we did with the next conference as well, after all. You know, we didn't have the conference. We didn't come together in Hamburg, unfortunately, in September. But we have the next show and we have a book. So an event can also be a book. Ina! It's a little bit less. Uh, exciting to have this book in your hand and it's very exciting my name but is in it and it's super exciting it is exciting <laughs> but it's a bit less exciting for me than to stand on this on this huge stage um david and monique as monique mentioned um also contributed to the book it is called the great redesign and was published this week and this is why we are excited for sure if you want to win a copy please stay until the end of the show and we tell you how I think it's a great collection of 20 authors who share their insights from various backgrounds. They talk about the impact of the current situation of on the years to come, but also show other important factors uh, that will shape our futures, the way we work, live and innovate. Some of the book's authors like Payal Aurora or Ben Evans were already here in this show to share their views. Um, others, we will be our guests in this season, like venture capitalist and book author Albert Wenger, the sharp analyst Zima Zar, or new work expert Leticia Vito. So they all be here on this stage at some point in the next months. David will tell us a little bit more about the great redesign in a bit, but we also have a special guest today, next founder and one of the book's co-editors, Matthias Schrader. We're looking forward to our conversation with him to discuss why he thinks we are living in the new never normal. So now I will join you in the chat and leave this stage to Monique, David and Mattis. If you have any questions or thoughts, please feel free to uh, share them with us and I'll do my best to forward them to David. So see you in a bit and over to you, David.
I have a thought to share as well. My thought is a little bit longer this week because it falls to me to introduce really the theme of this season um, of what's next. I'm talking about the big idea that is going to run through the entire season. And it can be summed up in two words, two words that you've already heard, the great redesign. But what do I mean? What do we mean by the great redesign? Well, back when the pandemic struck early in the year, we asked ourselves if this moment would be a pause or a great reset. If you can cast your mind back that long, it feels a long time ago. And what did we mean by that? We meant, is this a pause before the restart of life, the restart of culture, the restart of business, of everything as usual? Or is it going to be a massive reset that's going to bring huge change? Now, that is a big question. Um, and of course, we still don't know the answer. But here's the thing. What if pause or reset is not the best framework to understand this moment? What if there's a better way of thinking about it? Well, we think there is. And in this season, we're going to argue that there is a better way to think about it. What if this moment is not a pause or a reset, but rather the chance for a great redesign? Now, that can sound like a subtle shift in thinking, but it's also a huge shift because when you think about a redesign, you know that that's not a passive process. A redesign is something we have to do, and it's something we have to do together. So that's a framework that immediately forces us to ask, what should we be doing now to build the world we want? Like we know tons of spheres of human life are up in the air right now. We've all read and we've heard and we've listened so much about it. Education, travel, work, retail, cities, it's all up in the air. So what needs to be done and how can we do it? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for your business? What does it mean for your individual career, your journey? These are the kinds of questions we're going to be looking at this season and we have a lot of thinking to share. Um, as Ina said, our, our, our theme takes its name from a book, from this book. Um, and don't forget at the end of the show you can win a free copy, so hang around for that. The Great Redesign. And we're going to be hearing, as you've already heard, from some of the authors in this book and their thinking on what we need to do to create the great redesign that we need. We're going to hear from the newsletter writer, Azim Azhar, founder of the Exponential Review, on why we shouldn't count out megacities. We're going to hear from the venture capitalist, Albert Wenger, on a world after capital and why attention, the thing you're giving us now, attention, is the new scarce resource uh, in the new economy that we live in. Before you hear from those great thinkers, and of course, Matthias Schrader, our special guest this week, I want to share my own vision of the great redesign, or at least one aspect of it. Um, and that's a thought that taps into a fundamental aspect of how we shape the decades ahead. Um, and in that way, I hope it lays the groundwork for some of the ideas that you're going to hear through this season, because my thought fundamentally is about power. It's about how we humans need to come together and reclaim power over our shared future. Now, we all know that power is a necessary part of our lives. Unless you're an anarchist, you believe that it is necessary for there to be power in the world, for some people to have power over others. And without that, there'd just be chaos and it will be bad. But we also know that power in the 21st century, in the 2020s, who has it, how it's used, how it's expressed, all those things are changing. And that was true before the pandemic. It's happening in all kinds of ways. 
But there's one particularly important way. There's one particularly important new form of power that I just want to think about for a minute, and that is algorithmic power. Algorithmic power is a new form of power that is haunting ever more of our lives. And it does that in all kinds of interesting ways. So we all know that big tech, you know, Facebook, Twitter, takes our personal data and it funnels it through algorithms and creates models of each of us that are used to predict our preferences and predict our future behaviors. So algorithms decide which products are suggested to you, which music is suggested to you, and so on. But it's not just about your consumption. Increasingly, algorithms are playing a part in the public space as well, and they're playing a part in government. Like right here in the UK, just a few months ago, there was a big scandal because the government tried to use an algorithm to decide the exam results of our school leavers. They couldn't take their exams because of the pandemic. So the government tried to give them their exam results using an algorithm. And what the algorithm ended up doing um, is upgrading students who went to expensive private schools and downgrading students who went to ordinary schools or lived in poorer areas. And there was a huge scandal about that and they had to throw the algorithm away and start again. And that's just one tiny signal of what lies ahead. We're going to see algorithmic power and algorithmic decision-making weaving its way through our lives in all kinds of interesting ways. And there's one big idea about algorithms um, that's become perhaps the most powerful idea about our shared future and about power recently. And this is the idea that algorithms will know us better than we know ourselves. Okay, It's been made popular by the superstar futurist Yuval Harari. He says we're going to move into a world where algorithms know us better than we know ourselves. Um, and, and Yuval Harari thinks that that is a huge problem because he thinks in that world, people will be tempted to hand ever more of their decision-making over to algorithms. And he thinks that in the end, they'll hand over the most important decision that we in democratic societies take to algorithms. They'll hand over their vote to algorithms. They'll think this algorithm knows me and my life and my preferences even better than I know them myself. So why should I vote? Why don't I let an algorithm vote on my behalf? Or even better, why don't I let an algorithm be the leader and make the decisions? Why don't we let algorithms run our government? So this is a very powerful vision of a kind of tech-fueled future that's become very popular recently. And Harari thinks this could be a fatal challenge to liberal democracy. He thinks there may be no answer to this challenge. But I think there is an answer. I think there is an answer. And to establish that answer, we just have to look very quickly at what we mean when we say algorithms will know us better than we know ourselves. And really what we mean is algorithms will know our likes, our dislikes, our interests, our purchasing history, our listening history on Spotify, our online behaviours. And they'll use that to create models of us that are very successful when it comes to predicting our future behaviour. OK, so why then in that world should you not let an algorithm vote on your behalf? There is an answer to the question. And the answer is because you have a vision of the collective good, of a good for all of us, for all people, 
that is more than simply a collection of your preferences and your likes and your dislikes as you've expressed them on the internet, okay? An authentic political vision is more than just a set of likes and dislikes. It has to be informed by a true ethical vision of the human good life and what is good for human beings. And that kind of vision transcends the kind of likes and dislikes and preferences that you are able to express online. Sometimes you have a vision of the good life, of what is good for human beings. That means you have to do things that are not among your preferences, things that are difficult, things that are maybe dangerous, things that feel painful. You know, they might be part of your ethical vision of what you need to do to make a better life for all of us, okay? That is the answer to the challenge of algorithmic power. The reason this idea of algorithms knowing us better than we know ourselves feels so powerful at the moment is because we lack those kinds of visions of the good life. We lack those ethical visions of what human beings are and how they should live their lives. Okay, and we need to create those visions anew. We need to create compelling new narratives of our future and of the kind of future that human beings should live in. And those kinds of visions, no algorithm can understand them. No algorithm can process them. And they're not simply to do with your likes, your dislikes, your preferences. They transcend that. They're higher than that. Only human beings can make those visions and understand those visions. So that's what we need. And I hope that's something of what we'll hear about in this season, and I really think it is. What are human beings? What is the good life for a human being and a collection of human beings? And how do we create compelling visions and stories of how we move towards that? That will mean new kinds of lives for us, new kinds of culture, new kinds of business, new kinds of business for all of us, new kinds of business for you, because businesses and business professionals have to play a role in creating these visions. And that is, I'm sure, part of what we're going to hear about from our guests. So that is more than enough from me. I'm going to hand over to Monique to introduce our amazing special guest. Thank you, Dave. I mean, this is not a, a sharing of an idea. This is a sermon. This is a lecture. This is a, you know, advice to all of us. Thank you so much. Very inspiring. Who are we going to talk to? Of course, we're going to talk to Matthias Schade, who is not only the co-editor of the book, you know, but also leading Accenture, Accenture Interactive in Germany, Austria and Switzerland. And since the early 80s, he has specialized in the world of technology and Internet. And during this time, the whole industry has experienced so much change and development, which he not only witnessed, he also called it. He called it early and then informed his clients and the people he worked with where to go. So together now, together with consultants, designers, developers, and strategists, Mattis mainly supports the big German companies in the development of digital products. So like big German companies, telecom, automobile, so forth. Um, he also founded the NEXT conference in 2006, you know, the reason why we are all here. And within a few years, the conference established itself as a leading conference for digital transformation in Germany. Mathis, so good to have you here. Thanks for having me here. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. The time for the, the, time usual for the usual of innovation theater. 
with design thinking workshops and feel-good seminars is over. Only a radical attitude and rebellion against the status quo will rescue us. Ooh, big words. Yeah. What, what do we need rescuing from? What happened that we need to be rescued? And this is about more than just that we live in an age of a, pan, a global pandemic, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's right. And and to explain what I mean with this, maybe a quick explanation of, of uh, my personal history. Because when I founded Sinner Schrader 25 years ago, um, for example, Bertelsmann had a market share of over 50% of the search engine market with Fireball Lycos uh, out of Europe and, and all of these stuff. And Larry Page and, and, and Sergey Brin were still going to university. And uh, the Ottos and Quelles uh, in Germany, they dominated the mail order business, but, but, but also the e-commerce um, segment in these early days of, of, of the web. Um, in Europe. So, and above, in addition to this, we have also an entire internet software ecosystem with Open Office, for example, with Adobe CMS, Hybris, Intershop. And what's not known in the mainstream, I think that all these companies uh, came from, from German founders and now all it's gone. So, so, uh, so, 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 so it's um, the, the pandemic, it's, it's not a new thing that we that we see that that we have a digital lockdown. In my point of view, we have in Germany, especially, a lockdown since uh, twenty um, uh, since uh, twenty years. So we, we deinvested in, in, in digital. So, and, so in you consequence, say in the beginning, when there was big enthusiasm and there were a lot of uh, European homegrown companies yeah, making use of yeah. the internet, after the dot com bubble, we sort of retreated and we let the Americans take over. Yes, yeah, so so we always thought too small in, in in Europe. So and 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 it's still true, unfortunately, that today entrepreneurs have to go into the states uh, to be internationally successful, like to be a Lutke, a Lutke, um, uh, with Shopify. Uh, yeah, I didn't even know it was a German entrepreneur. There you go. But yes. uh, that's a huge, huge, huge company, right? Sort of the white-labeled Amazon services for shops. Yes, but but when you look at, for example, the e-commerce segment, so 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 we have Intershop, and now Intershop it's, it's, it's Salesforce Commerce, yeah. We have um, SAP Hybris, that, that's for, 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 from from German uh, uh, founder teams. Uh, we have something like um, uh, Spryker, you you may know, and a lot of other things, commerce tools, and so on. So 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 we are the leading e-commerce. Um, um, Ecosystem uh, on the global uh, the global standpoint here in Germany, but we think too small, and, and so uh, the big uh, uh, companies in, in the US uh, they they buy these uh, these knowledge these IP and then they make it yeah. su successful. And I think that's uh, the, uh, that's the point to to think more radically. I, I think I mean my feeling is that things are looking up a little bit in the sense that. Um, I mean, not only are there a lot of German, uh, European companies building parts of the bigger ecosystem, so they're being taken over and become part of the American companies, but you now have, uh, you know, some unicorns, you know, the unicorns of European background, the huge companies that are coming up. And it was just a 
research that came out is that as of October 2020, we have five times the value of the biggest companies that we had uh, a few years ago. And we have companies like Adyen, Delivery Hero, Klarna, Spotify, Ocado, HelloFresh, Takeaway.com, Zalando, and also BioNTech. I mean, Germany yeah. saving the whole wide world, right? So things seem to be looking up and Maybe, but maybe I'm, I'm too optimistic here. I have the feeling that this global pandemic has sort of given us a, a renewed um, value for both science and thinking about the public good, about society. And then if you think those through, that means you have more digitally, technically, scientifically advanced workforces. You have more feeling that companies have a role to play in society and not just make money. So I have a feeling that th these new values that now are coming up could be very interesting also for Europe, right? Because Europe has something going on there. What do Absolutely. Yeah. So, 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 I, so when you look to, to, to Europe, so we, we have no shortage of capital or talent. And what you mentioned is absolutely true. I think we have a USP in Europe. So, 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 so we are currently talking a lot about diversity, for example, and we have the gift of cultural diversity across Europe. And I think that's, that's very valuable. And when we put all these ingredients together with the right energy, the right attitude, uh, we, we can be very optimistic. Is, is Accenture itself a diverse company? Is it because you run uh, Accenture for all these German-speaking countries? How, are, how do you handle diversity within your company? Yeah, two sides. Also, from 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 the gender perspective, it's it's um, a, a diversity-driven company. I would say uh, our CEO, Julie Sweet, uh, she's a woman, and, and I would say that half of her leadership team is a uh, woman. So, from Ooh, the gender yeah. perspective, it's 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 uh, uh, very diverse. Uh, we are very diverse when you look to our global footprint. It's uh, North America, it's Europe, it's it's Asia. Uh, but of course, we have always challenges because. We are also, in, especially in interactive, we, we grow also not only organic, organically, also with um, with uh, acquisitions like Sina Schrader three years ago. And then you have the, the, the challenge that most of, of the acquisitions you bought in the, in the past are uh, founded by um, uh, by male uh, by males. Yeah. Yeah? So so and and, and these kind of um, Cultures is of course there the first and second generation of founders, and so it needs a time to, to go more diverse in the gender uh, perspective. But the other point, I think it's it's, it's more uh, to, to look at uh, the same time the cultural diversity. We have the cultural diversity in, in Europe, but also when you look in Accenture, we have the technology people, we have the consulting people, but we have also the, the agency people. Yeah, and these are people. also completely yeah. the creative people, and and, and they're also um, very diverse, and, and and you have to to build a platform where all these uh, where all these different cultures uh, can be um, uh, work together and to build a fruitful and valuable. Uh, quite a challenge, um, right? Quite a challenge, but a good one to take on. Now let's go back to to this idea of the the great redesign. I mean, you say also in the book, but also separately. Um, we need a more radical attitude to be successful in the yeah. country. And there's going to be a lot of changes needed. What areas of life need to change to you know, establish a new uh, energy in the digital field? 
Yeah, I, I would say that obviously that the pandemic has changed a, a lot of the ways we we behave, especially how we work or consume, for example, the smartphone has become the universal remote control for our lives. And what does not take place on this five screen, five inch screen does not take place at all. So here's also undergoing a complete redesign of, of many areas. So some parts are only accelerating in, in their change, for example, the transformation of retail. Uh, but but I believe others are experiencing a completely new form, for example, remote work, remote meetings, business, uh, and so on. But but to be honest, I don't think that we can really judge today many of the consequences because they overlay and um, and they are, it's not easy to, to, to separate them. It's, it's, a separ it's, it's only an acceleration or it's only um, a thing that is um, an overlay effect, I would say. Now, apart from all these changes that are sorely needed and for which you need all kinds of different people in society, whether it's mobility or education or government, um, you have, of course, always be, been someone who calls a new tech trend early. You know, if it's, it's computers or mobile or data or social media. So what, what is the trend right now? I mean, what is the tech trend that makes you feel, okay, this is going to be so big I need to get my clients on this train because this is going to be too important to miss out on. And then really from a tech point of view. I would say when we look to the GAFAs, then I would say one observation is that two of them are different than the other two. For example, Amazon and, and Apple, what they do is that they merge software and hardware, so they build appliances. So when we look, for example, to, to Amazon, it's half a software platform, it's half physical logistics. And when we look, for example, to, to Apple, it's it's now half software, iOS, macOS, uh, Sur, and so on, and the App Store on the other side. But uh, at the same point, they go very deep in, in, in hardware. So when you look to, to the Apple Silicon, it's now the, the fastest and the most powerful CPU, CPU in the market. So it's, it's, so they, they, uh, they outperform Intel now. So and th that's completely crazy when you think about it. So and, and to bring software and hardware together, that needs time. It's, it's, a, it's a decade project. So when you look, for example, to startups, you always say, Startup, it's all about the B weekly sprint, it's agile and it's fast and so on. That's not true. Every spa startup that is very successful has a decade of, 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 uh, of a roadmap. And, and then after seven or 10 years, then the startup is uh, successfully. And when you go into the enterprise world, then you think they, they, are, they are more conservative and they are not, uh, they are slow, but they are with their change of, of, of the C-level board with their internal uh, re, uh, reorgs and so on, they are faster than the startups and reorg themselves, but they have not the, the decade-long vision to, to build these software and hardware things uh, yeah. together. I think that, that's, uh, that's remarkable. Uh, the, so, the so, so would thing, you what, say what, that the, the software-hardware combination or the software... Um, property combination or the software, you know, the, the combination of software with something else that based the software is something to really look into. Is that yes, yeah. yes, yeah. absolutely. That's a perfect lock in, but it needs time. That's when yeah. you look that that uh, an automotive, the OM say 
we built in car OS, for example, for the next two years, that's bullshit. It needs yes. years and years to build these kind of appliances. But then that's a, it's a very uh, robust uh, login. And we see at the same time that the old software platforms like the Facebook and Twitter, they, they are vulnerable. So when we look, for example, in, in, the, in the US, what we see is that they take actions against fake news so and then overnight there are new uh, social networks and and uh, and uh, new bubbles. So I think uh, without uh, hardware we have a problem in the future. Okay, very interesting. I'm wondering if there are questions from the audience because if not, I'm going to. Oh, there are some questions here. Um, David, mm -hmm. you are going to be with me to answer some questions. I actually also wanted a question that I missed in your talk so far, which David touched upon, is the whole new field of machine learning and AI. I mean, this this is going to be enormously effectful on many of your clients' services and companies. Is this something that you are looking into as one of those fields where you have to combine hardware, software? Or? Yes, of course. I think that's, that's a super interesting field, but, but I think that's more... I think, from my point of view, that's more commodity. That's, so the, the, the AI algorithm that depends on, on the data, we have also the, the roadmap and, and the wave to go into the cloud and all these things, but they differentiate not our clients and, and their services. I think the hard thing is always how to differentiate the services and the products for our clients, the whole experience, and, and this is not um, a cloud or an AI based thing so so we have okay. to do more to yeah. be here different there is a question from the audience one big thing the audience is is interested in is your advice on how to think big you know i think this comes from maybe a founder or someone who would like to i would say try to think big in europe but but the best thing is to try to big think is to try to raise 10 times more money than you think you need so we all hear that that there are big bets that fail. That's true. But there are infinite numbers of small and mid-sized bets that fail. No one hear about this. So so it's it's the probability to win with uh, big money, it's, it's much higher than with um, uh, mid-sized um, uh, budget. So So my advice is when you think you need 1 million, try to get 20 or 30. So... And, and then, and that's also a good lit, litmus test for your idea and for the market. Because um, when you handle and manage and have the conversation with uh, uh, people that um, have uh, the power to, 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 to share and to give uh, 20, 30, 40, 50 million, uh, they are more smarter than the people that um, have only 1 million. <laughs> oh, that's a good reason. I, I would also want to add that I think there's something uh, truly interesting happening right now that there are more and more companies with a completely uh, remote workforce where this whole question of Europe versus, versus US doesn't matter anymore. The people working in these companies are all over the place and, you know, you establish one little unit in the US to get a lot of money from there, but you actually, yeah. your clients are all over the world as well. well so it's not so much... Europe versus US as it was in the past, you know. The Absolutely true. Absolutely true. But but you need a footprint in the US. That's true. That's unfortunately true. David, are there more questions or do you have very special questions for Matis? 
Indeed, I do, because I think we are running out of time. But there is one very special thing that we need to do before we wrap up this show. It is time for the comeback of the world famous Next World segment. So let's roll the credit. Okay, Matthias, imagine this. Let me paint a picture for you. It is the near future. There has been a crisis on Earth, even worse than this one. <laughs> and in that crisis, a crack team of technologists have hatched a daring plan to start a new chapter for humanity. They're going to travel with 1,000 specially selected people far beyond the solar system to the planet next one and at that planet, they will establish a new permanent home for human beings, for humanity. Matthias Schrader, thanks to your outstanding achievements in the field of business and entrepreneurship, you have been chosen to be among those first 1,000 pioneers to travel to next one. Before you undertake your journey, there's just one thing you have to do, and that is answer five special questions. So let's see question number one. Name one luxury physical object, one luxury physical object that you would take to your new home on next one. So I love to hear music. So I would fight for my high streaming player with active studio loudspeakers from Genelic. They're very expensive, very luxury, but I love it. <laughs> I think that's a great choice because it's going to be a long trip. You need something to listen to. Okay, let's see question two. Which book should everyone read before they board the spacecraft to next one? Yeah, that's that's very um, easy, but a bit boring. I would suggest um, Hamodeus from, from Yuval Harari. Excellent choice. It's a fascinating book. And then you could have a debate about whether you think it's right or not. I think that would keep yeah. you busy on the way. Question number three. One exceptional person who should qualify to be among the first 1,000 pioneers to go with you to next one? Uh, I would choose Sarah Silverman. Also in the next world, we are still humans and we need humor and people who address social taboos in our white spaces and hold up a mirror to us. Yes, excellent choice. I think some humor is going to be needed because it will be a hard journey. Okay, let's see question number four. Create one law that bans something from next one forever. Um, unfortunately, we are humans and I think we, we can't um, change our humans' behavior in the next 10,000 years, but what we can change our tools so I would, I would ban weapons. Ah, excellent choice. I love it. Okay, question number five. Name one tradition from planet Earth that should be replicated on next one. So a tradition that we have almost forgotten in our light polluted cities is to watch the stars and enjoy space. So we should rediscover this tradition also on Earth, but 
of course, also on our trip to next run. Oh, I love it. Yeah, reconnect with the universe and hopefully that will lead to a spiritual reawakening. Okay, you've answered your five questions. Thank you so much, Matthias. You are now ready to board the craft. Have a great, great journey. I hope you get to take your music with you and Sarah Silverman with you if she agrees to go. Um, but we are now running out of time. So, you know, I'm going to hand over to you to wrap up. Thank you so much for this great conversation and also for your talk, Dave. It was really interesting. Many interesting questions there. Thank you so much. Next time, we welcome Thomas Müller on our next stage. Not the German soccer player, but Fjord's managing director. He also contributed to the great redesign book, and we are very much looking forward to meeting him. And now, as promised, I would love to give away one or more books. The only thing you have to do is to tell me here in the chat which book you would take to Planet Next One. So let me know and I'll send you a copy. So thanks a lot for watching today. I hope you enjoyed it. Please let me know what you thought. Um, also, thank you to this, the team behind the scenes, René, Merle and Juliana, and of course to our partners, Accenture Interactive, Factor 3, our media partner, T3N, and our live streaming partner, 23. A lot of threes there. But if you happen to um, be interested uh, in a partnership, you don't necessarily have to have a three in your brand name. So hope to see you in our next show. And don't forget to let me know about your favorite books. <laughs>